0: After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Brick responsibly. Beer reported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and this week I have a quick and dirty tip about the words reticent and Reluctant and a meeting middle about the difference between which and that. Let's start with a tip. People sometimes confuse the words reluctant and reticent. Reluctant means unwilling or disinclined. It comes from a Latin word meaning to struggle. Here are two examples. Squiggly was a reluctant witness at the trial. Ardvark was reluctant to reschedule his entire fishing trip just so he could go to a one-hour Mardi Gras committee meeting. Reticent comes from the Latin word for silent and has traditionally been limited to describing speech. Whereas someone who's reluctant is generally unwilling or disinclined to do something, someone who is reticent is unwilling or reluctant to speak— or is someone who prefers to keep quiet instead of sharing information. A reticent person would never be accused of sharing TMI, too much information. Here's an example of reticent. Squiggly tried to get Aardvark to tell stories about his fishing escapades, but Aardvark was reticent as usual. Although reticent has been used to mean reluctant so often that sometimes reluctant is listed as a definition for reticent, If you want to be precise, it's a good idea to use reticent in a more limited way—to mean just reluctant to speak. Your quick and dirty tip is to think of the I in reticent as matching the I in the word silent. And now on to the meaty middle. I'm going to give you a simple story and then a more complicated story for people who want more nuance. To understand the difference between which and that— First, you need to understand the difference between a restrictive element and a non-restrictive element, because the simple rule is to use that with a restrictive element and which with a non-restrictive element. But don't worry, it's easy. A restrictive element is just part of a sentence you can't get rid of because it specifically restricts the noun. Here's an example. Desserts that contain chocolate please squiggly. The words that contain chocolate restrict the kinds of desserts I'm describing. Without those words, the meaning of the sentence would change. Without them, I'd be saying that all desserts please squiggly, not just the ones with chocolate. Desserts that contain chocolate please squiggly. Restrictive elements aren't surrounded by commas, so there are no commas in that sentence. Here's another example jackhammers that don't have noise-dampening technology are on sale. We can't get rid of the words that don't have noise-dampening technology because then we'd be saying all jackhammers are on sale, not just the special ones. So that means the clause is restrictive. It's restricting the type of jackhammer. And here's another example. Dogs that howl annoy me. I can't get rid of the words that howl because then I'd be saying all dogs annoy me, not just the ones that howl, which isn't true. I love dogs. I'm a dog person. I will roll around on the ground with dogs, but mm, I just can't take the howling. On the other hand, a non-restrictive element is something that can be left out without changing the meaning of the sentence. A non-restrictive element is simply additional information. Here's an example. Chocolate desserts— which are his favorites, please squiggly. Leaving out the words, which are his favorites, doesn't change the meaning of the main sentence. With or without the words, which are his favorites, we know that chocolate desserts, please squiggly. Non-restrictive elements are surrounded by commas, so there's a comma before and after the words, which are his favorites. Here's another example. Jackhammer's which are useful for breaking up concrete, are on sale. We could throw out the words which are useful for breaking up concrete, and the meaning of the sentence wouldn't change. Those words are just extra, meaning they're non-restrictive, surrounded by commas, and that which is the right word choice. And here's a final example. Dogs, which make great companions, are usually furry. Again, we could throw out the words which make great companions— and not change the meaning of the sentence. Dogs are still usually furry. Those words, which make great companions, are just extra, meaning they're non-restrictive, surrounded by commas, and that which is the right word choice. So here's a quick and dirty tip for the simple rule. If you think of the Wicked Witch of the West from The Wizard of Oz, you know it's okay to throw her out. She's bad, so we want to get rid of her. You're going to throw out the Wicked Witch— just like you can throw out the which part of your sentence. You won't change the meaning of the sentence without the which phrase, so you can throw out the which phrase, commas and all. Think of lifting it up by the commas and taking it away. If you can do that and it doesn't change the main meaning of your sentence, then you know which is the right choice. If you try to throw out the phrase and it does change the meaning of the sentence, then you know that the right choice is that instead of which, because it's restrictive. That's the simplified rule that I find works for a lot of people who get frustrated trying to decide which word to use. But you should also know that the situation is more complicated than I just explained. Of course, right? That's the safe rule. You'll never go wrong with it, but some authorities say that which can be used for both restrictive and non-restrictive clauses. And it's actually very common for people who use British English to use which when American speakers would use a that. The distinction between the two just hasn't held up in British English the way it has in American English. So if you're British, know that Americans might think you've made a mistake when you use which with a restrictive clause, or they may just be dazzled by your accent and not even notice. We're like that. And if you're American, but you love the sound of the word witch in all your sentences and want to use it, if anyone challenges you, you can just say you're using British English. But I do think the distinction between the two words is useful because, as I explained, they convey different ideas. Consider these two examples. Diamonds that are expensive make a great gift, and diamonds which are expensive make a great gift. In the first example, diamonds that are expensive make a great gift, I'm saying there are two kinds of diamonds, some that are expensive and some that aren't expensive. In the second example, diamonds, which are expensive, make a great gift, I'm saying that to me all diamonds are expensive, and I think that's a useful distinction. I'll finish up with a little grammatical aside. When they're used in the way we've been talking about. That and which are called relative pronouns. I know it seems weird because you usually think of pronouns as words such as he and she. Relative pronouns don't get talked about as much as the other pronouns, but they are real pronouns. They head up subordinate clauses. Other relative pronouns include who, whom, why, where, and when. To sum up, the simplest rule is to choose the relative pronoun that when you can't get rid of the element and the relative pronoun witch when you can get rid of the element, and it won't change the main meaning of the sentence. Remember that it's always safe to throw out the witches. I'm Mignon Fogarty. You can find all the Grammar Girl articles at quickanddirtytips.com. That's all. Thanks for listening.